millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to All Stats Aren't We, a podcast in which Leeds fans cast their combined eye over goings-on at Elland Road, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm John McKenzie, I'm in a very good mood and I'm joined by two other people who I assume are in a very good mood, Darren Driver and Joe Hill. Guys, how are we feeling? Very, very, very good this morning. Yeah, I mean, I didn't, I didn't get too low after the Cardiff defeat this week and I'm trying not to get too high just because we've won a game, but... We'll have to see how that goes. I'm feeling pretty pretty happy today. Yeah, I'm buzzing, buzzing to uh, see the table, see us top of the top of the tree. Um, but yeah, trying to keep my head screwed on straight and uh, just as the players do, just take it one game at a time. <laughs> and to continue with the cliches, um, it was a game of two halves yesterday. Um, I think one of those games where you just sort of, as as Bielsa stands as we are, you just sort of you have to bathe in the bliss of it all because uh, a, a first half where tactically we were at sea and I think it was, I mean, it was, I felt to me it was very obvious what was going wrong. Um, but then to, to just see the way that, that Bielsa just responded to it and uh, and turn things around was, was quite remarkable and um, made me feel as though, you know, actually sometimes, sometimes it's easy to forget that tactics are important and the reason why Bielsa is a great manager is because he, he just sort of watches a game and knows how to turn it around. So, Darren, what was your, what was your feeling on the, the two halves and the difference between the two? Yeah, we, we kind of... Um... I think there were a couple of things that, that went wrong from our point of view. I think that, that our 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 ball retention was pretty poor, especially um, playing out from the back. I thought we overcomplicated things sometimes, and that gave Fulham an opportunity to get on us. Um, I felt like Fulham targeted Stuart Dallas by trying to isolate Knockout with him, and I thought we really struggled to kind of cope with that as an idea. And I thought we let Mitrovic have too much of the ball in the first half, and, and, and really that got Fulham playing off and around him. Um, and I thought once we once we managed to successfully address those things, it, it, we were always going to be pretty comfortable. Mm. Joe, what about you? Yeah, I think Darren's absolutely right that Mitrovic was uh, in the first half anyway. He was seeing far too much of the ball. Um, actually, overall, I'm going to dive straight in with a stat. And overall in the game, um, he had 62 touches 
and to put that into perspective, he only had 29 versus Brentford. So um, I'm, I don't have the stats for the first half, but I'm, I'm assuming most of those touches were in the first half. Mm. And yeah, I think he was just—he saw too much of the ball, and for some reason, in the in the second half, the players, I thought Cooper and White and Ailing just sort of seemed to step it up and take take Mitrovic out of the game completely. Mm. I thought they played they played him in a totally different way in the second half. They seemed to go much more with one trying to nick the ball and one trying to stay behind him to mop up in case that went wrong. And mm. Ben Ben White was the one nipping in front, and as we know, he's very good at that. And I felt like he he wasn't as proactive about doing that in the first half, and I thought that caused us some problems. I think in the first half, I noticed that Luke Ayling was doing a lot of defensive cover, particularly in the aerial chances, and I think mm. that meant that White sort of stood off him a little bit. Yeah. Um, what. My observation of the first half was was that Fulham were trying to go central through our press um, from the back, and and then once they'd broken the press, they would then play the ball out wide into in in behind fullbacks or or into wingers' feet in in, in a, an attempt to then um, get those crosses in. And I, I shared on the um, on the Twitter channel yesterday the differences differences between crossing in the first half and the second half. I think Fulham had 14 crosses in the first half and one cross in open play in the second half. Um, they still had a few free kicks, obviously. Um, and the reason the, the reason that this was happening, as I saw it, was that the Fulham forwards were just uh, dropping in deep, in behind their, their markers, um, looking for the ball in. So, the, so the, the quick ball would come in from, from someone like Harrison Reid or Tom Kearney, uh, and they would just play the one-two. So the simple ball in into feet um, into the space between Leeds's sort of forward midfielders and then Calvin Phillips and the defenders, um, and you play the simple one-two, and then Harrison Reed or Kearney would just pick the, the return ball up and then be able to feed the ball wide into wide areas. And that's one of the precise things that we were failing to do in the first half. Yeah. Um, we, we should have gone that little bit more direct and tried to beat their press in precisely that same way, and that's something yeah. we failed to do in the first yeah, half. I think so. Anyway, in the second half, it was very noticeable that Calvin Phillips played a little bit higher up the field. Um, and actually, I thought Click played a little bit deeper, actually, once we mm. brought um, Hernandez on. And it was almost as though we were playing a 4-2-3-1. Um, but with the with the attendant difference, that our, our midfield pivot was just much higher than, than Calvin had been in the in the first half. Um, so I think that, that changed things around. And I think, like you say, the, the defenders just were playing on the front foot a lot more. I think they'd been told, look, you've got to get, you can't allow that second ball back to the to the, the midfield, which breaks our press to happen. Uh, and they closed it down. I think a lot was made of Pablo Hernandez, rightly so. Pablo played really well, of course. But so much, so much of everything that we did well yesterday stemmed from the fact that suddenly we started controlling ball, ball possession more than we had in, in, the, in the first half. Um, which which I think is really important against a team like Fulham because in the in the tw- in the thirty minutes after we scored it just felt relentless it felt as though we were we were trying to feed the ball out down wide areas losing the ball in possession and um, and then just getting overrun by Fulham through the middle and another thing that I shared on the Twitter feed actually yesterday was uh, the differences between location of turnovers in the first and second half um, and again that's really quite instructive if you can, if you can go and look at that because in the first half and the second half we we had similar levels of turnovers and I think a, a lot of the time on the channel we get asked by people how many misplaced passes did Leeds have in this half 
um, because mm. it felt more like more than usual, and it ne- almost never is. It's just the location of those uh, turnover passes. So in the if you look at that graphic in the first half, we're losing the ball in central areas and in deep areas, and in the second half, we lose the ball a couple of times in wide areas in our own half, uh, but also in wide air uh, in forward areas and nothing in the in the central areas. Same, I think the same happened against Cardiff. If you think back to the the ball turnovers we're we're losing the two, the turnovers um, in in really key areas and as we've always said on here when you're losing the ball in attacking transition when our team is decompressed so we're trying to find space that's when we get punished because it's so much easier to just r- overrun a, a defense where your center backs are split apart your wing backs are pushed up um, you've got basically Calvin Phillips as the only as the only defending midfielder um, and that's why tra- transition is, is so important that's the game is essentially about contraction contraction and decompression when yeah. you've when you've not got the ball you've got to make as little space as possible when you've got the ball you've got to make as much space as possible and when you lose the ball in the position where you've got trying to find as much space as possible and everything falls apart um finally an xg over performance though Mm. which was nice i i I looked through the stats this season and that was pretty much up there with one of the highest ones there's the borough four nil obviously and then there was another game was it hull Hull, yeah where we overperformed We overperformed by like two and a half goals, but this was two goals. This was two goals. So, um, yeah, an an overperformance. I I would add to that, you know, Bamford's Bamford's chance was given as 0.04. Someone did ask about that. And we had the infinite, we had the infamous Bamford gate last, well, in the first part of the season where we, where we point out that Opta had that chance that everyone thought was a complete sitter as 0.03, um, which Statsbomb actually had as, as closer to, well, closer to, I think it was 0.25, so, you know, a one in four chance, which is maybe a little bit um, closer. I, and I suspect they may have had um, this chance as a little bit higher um, because, you know, it's a tough chance. Don't get me wrong, the ball's coming across his body. He has to open his open his body up and get that the, the shot in. It was a lovely lovely goal but I think most people would be would question whether or not that's a uh what was it 0.04 so one in 25 chance Mm. Uh, I'm not sure most people would agree with that I would say though that the good thing about xg is that it teaches you that you that you almost always overrate um finishing people people always overrate the quality of a chance people always think chances are way more likely than they actually are according to to xg but um what guys how are you feeling about that is is that did this game? It felt like last week was a was a a sort of textbook blueprint for a Bielsa loss. Um, was this a textbook blueprint for a Bielsa win? No, because we I've never seen a Bielsa team, a Bielsa Leeds team, under so much pressure in one half and 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 be and kind of um, be failing to kind of implement his game plan so fundamentally. But having said that, the second half was absolutely textbook in in the sense that that he made some really bold tactical substitutions, which I'm sure we'll talk about later, um, and and managed to kind of you know really really turn the game around and get his team back in control, which is you know was just an incredible thing to see. I wondered if part part of the uh, substitutions that Bielsa made as well. I know we will talk about this a bit later, but. Was just to just to um, shake it, shake it up and just to do something that Parker wasn't expecting and play Alioski on the wing and swap Harrison to the right hand side and I think it was it was textbook in terms of a Bielsa masterclass and he really he really showed that uh, you know his credentials. Mm. 
We've had a couple of questions about the differences between the first and the second halves. Um, so LUFC Meal Deal had a question about what ways, stats-wise, was the first half against Fulham typical of a Leeds performance under Bielsa? I, I don't know. I, I, I just think it was a poor performance. I, I think that Leeds were trying to be too defensive. I don't know whether or not they'd been told to be more defensive. Um, and by more defensive, I mean, you know, they sort of... It sort of felt as though they they sat back, and a part of the I think part of the issue is that Fulham actually came out in a in a different lineup to what we expected them to do, and it was Harris, Harrison Reed and um, Harry Arter playing as a, a as a double pivot. And to be fair, Tom Kearney played quite deep as well. It was almost as though they played like a really deep three in a bid to sort of break the Leeds initial press, um, and 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 that was what threw us off. Um, and once we we got around that, those the, the, the those problems were ameliorated. Um, JBC asks, asks for a comparison comparative comparison between first and second half with and without Pablo, um, and uh, he asked about Mitrovic's dis- disciplinary record as well. But uh, again, like we talk a lot about Pablo, and, and Pablo is Pablo. But um, the other tactical switch was uh, bringing on Alioski and having Harrison over on the right now. Uh, Helder Costa had picked up an injury, um, which I think was was notable. Um, he didn't look quite so sharp, maybe in the first half as we might expect. But how did we feel about the about the bringing on Alioski and 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 Harrison? I thought a lot of it was to do with um, bringing Alioski's energy in to support our press. I thought that was really important, and also to so that um, it, we could stop knockout isolating against Dallas which was a, which was causing us major problems in the first half so I, th- I really I understood that change um completely um once it happened but but when it was announced what was happening I was a little I must admit I was a little bit confused by by what what Bielsa's thinking was um see so yeah, I, I thought that was that was really strong and then obviously Bamford for whatever reason wasn't giving Bielsa what he wanted um, up front wasn't retaining the ball wasn't wasn't making the kind of runs that, that would trouble um, Fulham which which looked to me once Roberts came on he was he was running in behind their centre backs m- much more and kind of giving giving our forward players an option to slip him in behind which is one of the things that he's so clever at I always think one of the differences between Bamford and Roberts is that Bamford looks to engage the centre halves and Roberts looks to avoid them and I thought that was really clear in the second half mm. uh, Joe we we could talk about Harrison on the right as well. Um, we get that question a lot, also, uh, and I think it's I think it's fair enough. But like, what were your initial thoughts on on Harrison as a sort of almost like a right wing back? It was it was as though he was playing yesterday. It was nice to see it happen. Um, I think one of the only other games that I can remember it happening was against Arsenal, um, and I was at that game and I really enjoyed that. Obviously, um, that was a that was an amazing game as well. Um, I thought. I thought he had quite a good impact. I thought he was able to make quite a few runs, um, running up in a one v one scenario, and uh, we saw we saw that for his goal. Um, and also him playing as more of a wing back on the right hand side just allowed Alioski to bomb up the pitch on the left hand side. Um, Alioski was playing so high up at, at points; he was almost the furthest player forward. Um, and I think that just created some confusion for Fulham and just created a bit of a craziness um, mm. that enabled us to to do so well. 
I was going to say, for me, um, the, the the Harrison on the right question has never been about Harrison's ability to play on the right because I think I think he can clearly do that. He played there um, in the states, and I, I, as well as the game at Arsenal this year, I think in one of his first games here last year, he played against Preston and he played on the right and played very well. For me, it's about whether Costa can do what Bielsa wants on the left, and I think that's more of a question mark. Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? As well, because I do think. I do think potentially Harrison could be a weaker player on the right in terms of, I think the reason Bielsa plays him on the left is because he has the ability to cut inside and he uses a stronger foot. And I think you lose that um, a little bit on the right um, because I don't think you would expect him to then cut in on, inside on his left. I don't think that quite has quite the same amount of force as, as it might do. Um, but yesterday, I mean, I mean, yesterday, you know, that goal that he scored... Do you see him scoring that kind of goal on the left? Because I don't. Because I don't. I don't. I can't think of. He, he doesn't seem to have that instinct to just go direct on the left. Um, and it was what, one of my criticisms actually of of Harrison has been that he that he has that he has that um, capacity that you see in someone like Ed and Hazard, which is they love to to be able to situate themselves relative to an opposition defender, um, and so it feels as though that if he gets in behind. He doesn't like having the fact that he's not. He 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 doesn't like the fact that he's got no one to beat. Um, and you, you know, you get some wingers who are just so devastating because they just beat the player and they're gone. Someone like Adama Traore is the outlier there. Um, they they see sort of they see defenders as problems to overcome, and then you're in the clear. Whereas it's almost as though Harrison thinks that, that you know once you've done that, you, he he kind of needs to have that. Um, that that sort of location, that relative location of, of a defender. So sometimes he, it looks like he gets around a player, and then he thinks, "No, I can get a better, I can get a better chance to cross in than than yeah. this." When he should just get the cross in, or he'll go one way, get past a player, and then he'll just cut back inside and allow the the defender to reposition themselves and then start again. Um, so I, I wondered whether or not you know you could play Harrison on the right, and he would be more maybe more of a direct winger. Um, because he wouldn't have the capacity, perhaps, to to cut inside. But whether or not that necessarily makes him a a better player, I'm not sure. So, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I I, I totally know what you mean about the thing where Harrison feels like he's sometimes it, it looks like he feels like he's got to beat a defender twice before he can get the ball. And and actually, towards the towards the end before before the lockdown, I felt like he was really starting to kind of cut some of that overplaying out of his game and was starting to go much more direct. Um, I will say that I think Costa would have made the same run as Harrison made for that for that third goal. Um, I don't think that was specific to Harrison. Whether he would have finished or not, I, I really don't know. I think that Harrison, you mentioned cutting in on his left foot. Um, he has had a couple of really amazing opportunities, um, a couple of really amazing shots. I think one was against Huddersfield. Uh, was it Hull? A Hull. It was a yeah. Hull, yeah, yeah. Um, and he's just caught the the sort of bar, the cross, the the bit between the crossbar and the post, sort of upper ninety. Um, and I think Costa can do that too, but I think he is strong on his left foot and he he is able to cut in. And we didn't see it much yesterday, but it is nice to nice to see him being played on the right because we might see a couple uh, of absolute screamers come in. Mm. We talk a lot on this podcast about how Leeds sort of tend to overload to isolate on the well, they overload on the right to isolate on the left, 
Um, and looking at the average positions yesterday, it felt as though in the first half we sort of set up to do that. We had we had players like Click um, tending over that side. Uh, Bamford tended over that side. Uh, obviously, Costa was over on that side. Um, and Roberts was sort of tended over that way as well and and it felt as though perhaps we maybe we maybe flipped the tactics around a little bit and, and attempted to sort of uh, get get um a little bit more direct down the right in the same way that we do on the left so trying to get get Harrison into that one-on-one situation and then with the fullback and then go from there and I wondered whether or not that was tactical whether or not they they decided well we know that Jerry Bryan is the is the weaker of the of the of the fullbacks? Um, let's just change it up. Let's see if we can actually just in, unlock them by playing the tactics the other way around. Um, anyone have have any thoughts on that? Well, I think I think the fact that all three of our goals came from getting in behind their left back in in, in quite similar ways really indicates that it, it must have been deliberate. It absolutely mm. must have been. Yeah, and I think as a result, then the the decision to bring Harrison across to the right, and then Alioski is perhaps a little bit more of a defensive player on the left, sort of played out as well. I think I think the the if you were to describe the the, the switch between the first and the second halves, the the, the, the realization was you know we're we're getting punished through the centre. We need to force them out wide, and then we need to have the capacity to double up with our with a with our wide players um, and the and the fullbacks so that they they're much less likely to get crosses in. And I think that that worked. So. Um, I, I, it was weird. It almost felt as though we were playing as a sort of four-five-one in in the second half a little bit at the beginning, where we were we were going to set out to win the midfield battle um, and then get Pablo on the ball and, and obviously the the sort of um, the the sort of uh, passing capability that he has is obvious is obviously important there. We should just talk about that pass as well. Right, let's just talk about Pablo Hernandez for a minute, Darren. I'm sure you can wax lyrical about Pablo. But do you know what that that ball couldn't have been better if it had been drawn by Paul Trevelyan. You know the the, <laughs> the flight, the, traje- the trajectory, the devastation it caused. I mean, it was just a beautiful, beautiful thing to behold. I mean, he's looking at the um, southeast corner when the ball's coming to him, and he somehow manages to put it into a space which is in the northeast corner, um, just on the half turn. It was just 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 absolutely beautiful. And the, the, I've seen a couple of stills of of him. Um, with the ball at Aileen's feet, just looking over his left shoulder for the run, um, so it's it's just it's just beautifully planned, beautifully played, and and executed to absolute perfection. Um, I'm going to stop now because I'll start crying if I carry on. <laughs> <laughs> he deserves all the praise he gets. It's, it was absolutely unbelievable the second half yesterday. We need to wrap him in uh, bubble wrap until the next game, um, and I was actually quite pleased to see him come off um, even if it was only for the last couple of minutes just because it meant you know there was no risk of him being injured in the last few minutes um, but his yeah his vision is just incredible He's he's been doing it for years for Leeds if you watch all the old clips there was one that popped up on Twitter this morning of him feeding a ball to Dukara I think it was and it's just yeah he's been doing it for years and it's just unbelievable who then promptly fell over yeah yeah <laughs> Did he win a penalty there? I, 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 can't, I can't remember. Yeah. yeah, I don't know if that I was tried, a penalty or not. I've erased so much of that era from out of my head. <laughs> yeah. so. 
just before we move on, can I say one thing? Um, just to blow. Okay, my I mean, own. we could talk about Pablo for another ten minutes. If no, you no, want. I wasn't going to. I wasn't going <laughs> to talk about Pablo actually. But I just want to just draw your attention to the fact that I did predict before the season restarted that at one point in the season Bielsa would make a large number of substitutions which changed the game and that absolutely came to pass yesterday so I'll just pat myself on the back for that <laughs> Yeah, Tom Alderson uh, who often appears on this podcast has asked asked a question rank Pablo's assists against Stoke, Cardiff and Fulham so uh, I think those are all sort of Galaxy brain balls, I think we would describe them as. Um, so, does anyone want to kick off with a with some kind of uh, of ranking of them? I think most of us would have yesterday's as the best, right? Yeah, I mean, I thought about this quite a lot when I was walking the dog at six this morning. <laughs> so, um, I think the the Cardiff one comes in third, and I think that I would expect Pablo to 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 find that pass quite often. And if I was going to be uber critical of it he puts Costa a yard to the left of where he wanted to be <laughs> <laughs> so that that's my third place uh, the second place would be Stoke and the and yesterday's would be absolutely top of the tree yeah Joe you agreeing with that I think I think I'll disagree actually and put Stoke at, at the top just because of the starting position of Dallas it's just unbelievable it looks like that no he's passing it into empty space um, and Dallas comes out of nowhere. Um, whereas for and to stage right, isn't it? It's one of those <laughs> games. One of the one of the greatest feelings you can have, I think, as a football fan, is when is when you can't see the the, the further down the pitch, and that the player just comes out of nowhere and clonks a ball off like a corner or something. The ball drops out, and it just yeah appears. It was one of those, wasn't it? Yeah, and uh, the the Cardiff one is just uh, it's just easy. It's just a have it into thin air. So mm-hmm. yeah, that one's bottom. <laughs> Yeah, I think I think I I agree with that. Um, there was a question from Rosby about um, the sixty one percent versus twenty nine percent with without Pablo win rate um, that was mentioned on Sky. Uh, he asked for a deeper look on that; would be good. Um, I haven't actually done the the, the statistical legwork here. I'm afraid. Um, I don't know whether or not there's an explanation for why it's whether or not he's more likely to play against um, worse teams or, or whatever. I'm I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure there's something to that, but there's, I mean, there's also the fact that the guy is the, is the creative fulcrum of this team, and you know you see that, you see that just in the difference between the first half and the second half. Um, we just looked completely devoid, really, of any sort of, of any sort of calmness in the midfield area, um, holding the ball, the ability to break a press. There was one moment in the game where. He, he sort of shapes to play the ball wide into the midfield area when there's two players on him and sells one of them, the other player misses it and he just sort of bisects the two of them. Which again, it, that's in my in my in my very amateur playing career, you know, those are the moments that you really love when when you have two players close together and they both assume that the area between them is being doubly marked because they're both there, but and as a result of that it's not really being marked at all and he just sort of cut through there. Um that ability to do that, to just break the press, be in between the lines of the midfield and defence, get his head up, be able to play into into any of those four channels between the between the defenders, um, is just is just um, y- y- we we really miss it when we don't have it. So, yeah, Darren, thoughts on thoughts on Pablo as a as a sort of foil in this team? I think that out of all of our players, he's the one that will most often try the speculative. Or, or difficult pass or the creative pass and I think that, that more often than, than you would imagine it comes off so I was I was thinking about it precisely that same moment 
from yesterday where there would have been an easy ball back to a mm-hmm. centre half, there would have been an easy ball back to a left back, there would have been an easy ball to feed it into the middle to probably to Calvin. I can't remember precisely who was around. But instead, he, tr- he tries something, he takes a risk, and, and on this occasion, it's a risk that comes off and, and you know, really set us into motion. Um, so, yeah, I think I think the, the, the statistical difference is, is, is purely because he is the player that the team's effectively built around at the moment. Yeah. And again, I mean, to get to back, back to sort of brass tacks tactics, this is the way that the way that Bielsa sets his team up is to is to break the initial press from the opponent, get in behind and and then and then try and get the ball to people in dangerous areas. And in the first half, we just were not doing that whatsoever. Um because yeah, because we were playing ourselves out into trouble, we looked really nervy. I thought in the first, in the first half, especially after the goal had gone in, I think it was sort of fairly balanced. Then Fulham were like, "We've got to go for this," and we there was just moments where you know we we would get the ball in potentially good areas, and people would take bad touches, and um, we would we would sort of sell people down the river in wide areas and and in the middle, and um, just with with Pablo on the field, you just feel as though that's just not going to happen so much. Um, and so the second half changes, I think, were about maybe about as much about making the game fit what Pablo needed as as anything else. Like give us some give us some time on the ball in the middle, um, give us some kind of dominance in terms of possession in the middle, and then Pablo will do the rest. And I think it it, it pretty much followed that that format. Um, I would like to talk about under underappreciated players actually, because these are the sorts of games where you know it's very easy to to highlight the people who've done the things that have won the game for us. Um, it's very easy to point at the subs and be like, well, you know, this we were playing badly and then Alioski came on and then we played well. Um, but there, I think there's some under, under, underappreciated players in that game as well. So, Joe, do you have any suggestions for, for under underappreciated players in that second half? I'll suggest Luke Ayling. Um I think he was really good in the second half. Um, like we mentioned earlier, he was the extra cover on Mitrovic. Um there was a couple of moments where he'd really dropped um, centrally just to man-mark Mitrovic and to win the aerial balls. And he gave Ben White um, the confidence and the cover that uh, he needed just to take Mitro out of the game. So I'll nominate Ailing for that. And he got Niskin's Cabano sent off as well, basically, uh, yeah. effectively in, in about f- five minutes or something like that. There were lots of good ailing flops in there as well. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, they didn't come off as much, did they? I thought the ailing flop no, was a little but... bit less less effective yesterday. <laughs> Yeah, Darren, have you got any thoughts on this? It's difficult to say that that Ben White was was underappreciated or underrated for his performance yesterday, but but a lot of the attention has been on Pablo, and I thought Ben White was absolutely outstanding, um, particularly in the second half. Tyler Roberts, I thought, played really really well as a number nine um, yesterday. I thought Klitsch's improvement in the second half was really key because I thought he gave a lot of silly ball away in the first half, which really put us under a lot of pressure. Um, but I think I think really it was a collective it was a collective effort in the second half and um, and as much about Bielsa finding that fabled Plan B that people say he hasn't got um, in his back pocket you know so um, yeah yeah I, I think that both centre backs I thought were excellent yesterday um, yeah another thing that we shared on the Twitter feed was just when you restrict when you restrict um, Alexander Mitrovic to one headed chance in the box and then two speculative chances from outside the box you've had a pretty good day um i think it's one of the things i think is really interesting actually is how much the punditry 
team on Sky influenced the way that people think about a game. Um, yeah. Because they were the way that they were going on yesterday in the first half was as though you know it was it was a travesty that we hadn't conceded, um, and yet actually if you look at the if you look at the figures, Leeds actually, I mean it was very very close. We basically matched um, Fulham for XG, um, and you, you know for all of their for all of their obvious possession dominance and their their game dominance, I thought Fulham really didn't create that much in the first half in fact I think the best chance they created really was the in the second half from that corner when De Cordova Reed just has that chance at the back post which could have gone anywhere um, so in that respect you know a, a sort of loose ball from a corner being the best chance that you give up is, is pretty strong um, and I think a lot of people I think a lot of people were sort of maybe unnerved by the fact that Steve McLaren seemed desperate for Fulham to get the win for some reason, um, which I'm not entirely sure why. Whether or not it's simply because, um, as, as I again, as I like to mention, you know, the, the media seem to really have a a, a tendency to fetishise young English managers, um, and mm. I think there was a feeling that you know, that there's always that feeling there that you know you want to see someone like Scott Parker do well because he had a good career and played at Fulham for a while as well. And I'm sure that comes into it. But um, I did I did feel as though maybe um, there was a little bit of an overstatement from, from the punditry side on, on that. So um, I do think that, that, you know, yes, yes, there were obvious failings in the first half. Yes, things needed to change. We were under the cosh and it was only a matter of time, I think, before a dangerous chance uh, occurred. But it didn't actually happen in the first half. And with the, the changes in the second half, then we just sort of turned the screw and, and away we went. I don't know where I was going with that. I think it's just more of a rant than anything. But Very enjoyable. <laughs> <laughs> Good. I do feel as though we should talk about maybe the, the overarching uh, look at what, what the run-in is like now. I've got a question here now. How are we feeling about West Bromwich, Albion loss versus Brentford now? Because I was an advocate. I'm always an advocate in these situations that, you know, that your closest challenger is the person just ahead of you. Um, and and I was, I've been saying to the guys that I chat to, you know, if we finish above West Brom, we are getting promoted. I think that's, I think that's true. Like, yes, someone could break into the, into the automatics, but as long as we finish ahead of West Brom, I, I'm pretty sure that we're going up. Uh, and so I was pretty pleased with the West Brom. I would rather have West Brom three points behind us than three points ahead of us with, with, uh, with, Brentford sort of further back I don't particularly worry too much about about Brentford and Fulham in terms in those sorts of things and I wonder whether or not maybe Leeds fans are a little bit we've just gone into this mindset of just wanting other teams to do the hard work for us sometimes um, we spend all of our time like working out the calculations and uh, and being like well you know if 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 Brentford lose to West Brom and then West Brom you know could do it you know Fulham we can do a job on Fulham then maybe we'll just about be able to do it um and it's just a case now of just being like, right, from here on in, I reckon, what, three wins probably does it. Um, and it's a case now of looking at the teams that we've got left and you kind of thing. Luton at home, you'd expect that to be three points. Um, Rovers can be tough. Uh, all of these teams can be tough. But, but you know, you've, you've just got to look at them and be like, three wins out of, out of the next seven games is, with the exception of, I think, Derby County, who um, have really started turning it on. Um, recently, you've got to you've got to see all of those games as potentially winnable. Um, so anyway, yeah, let's let's talk about how the how the run in looks now. How are you feeling about it, Joe? You how do you look at the the run of fixtures and and the, the situation in the league? And and it's it's hard not to feel confident, right? 
It, yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, I'm trying to keep a lid on it um, just because of what happened last year. But um, I think I'm more focused on uh, the gap to third place. Um, I think I'll slightly disagree with what you were just saying. I think I'm probably in the camp that looked to third and look, I don't really care if we come first or second. So in that sense, I probably would have rather seen a draw between West Brom and Brentford. Um, but... Yeah, it does look good, and uh, I think if we get another three points against Luton, um, then that's going to set us up really nicely. Um, also, we play the day before West Brom, um, so that, so if we can go six points clear of West Brom on Tuesday night, then uh, that's going to be huge. I couldn't give a monkey's what other teams do. <laughs> um, all I, all I really care about is us getting the points on the board that we need, and I'm I'm confident. That we will, although like I said last week, you know, I try and practice mindfulness and I'm trying not to think beyond the next thing that needs to happen, which is a victory against Luton. Yeah, I think that's a, a, a nice way of of looking at it. West Brom have uh, Sheffield Wednesday, I believe, which is um, an interesting fixture. Sheffield Wednesday have been quite dominant at times in this league. Um, we did get the news yesterday that Sheffield Wednesday are likely to have a big points deduction, which will probably... I don't know how that will affect them. I, I suspect it will be galvanising for them in the same way that the original court case seemed to be galvanising for them in, in the same way that you know our 15-point deduction was quite galvanising for us. So it may play in our favour in that sense. But uh, definitely a winnable fixture for, for um, Sheffield Wednesday, I think. Yeah. And I think it depends on what happens uh, as, we, as we get later and later in the season. Hopefully we come up, with, uh, we come up against teams that don't have anything to play for. I mean, like even Charlton on the last day, if they're just sitting comfortably mid-table uh, by then, then that's going to really bode well for us. Hopefully, yeah, we're, we're, we're done by then anyway. But um, if we do need a win at that point, then we'll be playing a team that doesn't really care and they're just going to be looking to stay fit and healthy. Mm. Yeah, and just looking at the other two fixtures uh, in, and, in and amongst and around us, Brentford have got Reading uh, away from home and Fulham have got QPR away from home. Um, so, two, again, two games that could go either way, but you would expect both of those teams to, to probably ease through that. It'll be interesting to see how Brentford do in that game, actually, because uh, Brentford do seem to have a tendency to to play well as underdogs, and I think they may be fallen down in games where, both away from home, actually, but also in games where where perhaps they just need to, you know, get the job done, uh, which is, I think, a common criticism for, for sort of teams at their level where they're just on the cusp of, you know, being obvious promotion contenders. Um, this is going to be really interesting to see what we should expect from Brentford because, again, if you know, if, look, if Fulham and Brentford both lose those games and we win and West Brom win, again, it's just that that gap is opening up. And as Josh Hobbs has just made so clear through through all of this he's just sort of you just have to look at it as, as a as a point gap that it's not just a, a case of you know winning enough games to get the points to get beyond teams you've got to think you know if as long as you're getting 1.5 points per game and they're getting two points per game then they're not going to catch you up it's that's how simple it is you know it's 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 as simple as just making sure that you get as many points as you can um, and 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 assuming that the other teams because they won't win all seven games so um, I think there's lots of positive positives to to going into the um into the run to the end of the season but as you say it's down to us we've got to we've got to get those wins and and that's that I do feel as though Leeds may maybe have a bit of confidence now um might be nice to sort of see us get some momentum like we had before the um 
before the lockdown uh, any sense that we could maybe just roll the next three off and and then sort of just look at being solid from from there on in there's no reason why not there's absolutely no reason why not if you look at you know if you look at the wider context of our last eight fixtures we're actually in really good form we we, we lost one match which was always going to be a difficult away fixture um I, I I don't see any reason why we why we can't run the next three off as victories or take seven points, which would put us in a really strong position. And if you look at the fixtures, I think we've got Luton, then Rovers, then Stoke. Um, I definitely think that that is a, uh, a a run of fixtures that we should be thinking, feeling positive about. But it's it's as as they made very clear yesterday in post match interviews, it's taking one game at a time, doing everything you can to plan for a game, um, trying to avoid the the pitfalls that we had in the first half in the last game, realizing that our game plan just wasn't working, and and and, and moving on from there. Right, let's move on to talk about the Luton game. So from here on in, we've got thick and fast games. So it's going to be a real job to sort of get get through everything. But I was lucky enough to speak to John Earls, who is a freelance journalist and Luton fan. So I'm joined today by John Earls, freelance journalist and Luton fan. John, how are you doing? I'm good, thanks. Yeah, you good? Yeah, it's uh, a little bit less warm up here in the north today, so uh, I'm enjoying the fact that I might be able to go for my run later without actually dying. We'll miss the sun when it's gone eventually, right? Absolutely, absolutely. So, Luton Town, the world looks very different for you guys than it did before lockdown. You've got Nathan Jones back, how are you feeling about that? I'm personally very positive and I think uh, there are obviously a sizable proportion of Luton fans who need to be won over to Jones again because of the manner in which he left the club. Uh, long story short, when he left for Stoke City, uh, you know, it was a little bit of a dubious way of going uh, in the middle of a transfer window. And infamously for Luton fans, there was a moment when he won manager a month at Luton, but collected the award wearing a Stoke City training top, which was hmm. uh, not very astute in football politics, I guess. But anyway, he's back and he's obviously proved himself at Luton uh, two back-to-back promotions and hopefully he'll be the man to keep us up because sadly it just wasn't working out under Graham Jones, our previous manager and yeah, we'll have to see how it goes but um, I think the important thing to say as well for Jones's relationship in the, in the building uh, that he needs to do is that he's always had the support of Mick Harford who was the manager that got us up and obviously Luton legend and even when it got messy between Nathan Jones and Luton, Harford always had his back and they've got a very good relationship. And I think hopefully that can continue moving forward. You've already mentioned the relegation race. Um, for those of the, the listeners who don't know, Luton are bottom of the table, but you're only five points from safety. And there's a couple of teams above you who are just plummeting down the table. Do you think you can do it? I think in terms of the teams plummeting down the table, Hull are probably catchable. I think Huddersfield, we could potentially overtake them. Uh, I was very anxious when Middlesbrough appointed Colin Warn uh, appointed Neil Warnock the other day, uh, because that is exceptional trolling of the relegation race by Middlesbrough's board. It's got to be said, and uh, I kind of worry about that appointment. It's a you know it's a textbook good short term appointment there, uh, and then that kind of leaves Barnsley that we need to catch, and I just worry about Barnsley. I kind of think that they after we had the promotion battle with them last season, it's possibly their turn to beat us this time round. But obviously I hope I'm wrong. 
Yeah, nice to hear a sneaky Colin Warnock getting in through there. <laughs> yes, go down yes. well with the Leeds fans. <laughs> <laughs> Last weekend, you um, earned a late point against playoff promotion hopefuls Preston North End. What did you take from that game? Did you get any indication of what post-lockdown form is going to look like for Luton? Uh, hopefully not. I mean, we were quite poor for 87 minutes. And uh, I mean, the goal from Callum McManaman, who came off the subs bench to score the goal, it was a, it was an absolutely wonderful goal. But it, it was literally our one shot on target in the whole game. And it took 87 minutes to arrive. It's actually for all the talk of the new normal in the outside world and for all the talk of Nathan Jones come back at Luton. It was depressingly like watching how we'd been for a large part of the season. And we sat back, we were overly cautious and we were kind of there for the taking, which Preston did on uh, with their goal around about the hour mark. So it was a little bit too much of the same old, same old. But hopefully, you know, obviously post-lockdown, it's kind of impossible to tell what your form's going to be in front of the empty crowds. And hopefully we'll get a grip on it sooner or later. And, you know, hopefully that'll come at your place on Tuesday. Did you get any indication of how Nathan Jones is going to approach the rest of the season tactically? I, I watched the game back uh, yesterday and I saw that he brought out the 4-4-2 with midfield diamond, which was, I think, his, his sort of calling card pre- previously. Do you think that's going to be the blueprint from here on in? I think probably. I mean, it's, you know, as you say, Nathan Jones does love a diamond, but the worry there is that we don't really have the personnel this season to to implement it properly and probably not as Jones would like because... It was built on our two fullbacks, uh, James Justin, who went to Leicester close season, and Jack Stacey, who went to Bournemouth close season. And the strange thing was when Graham Jones took over, they weren't adequately adequately replaced in any shape or form, really. Uh, the fullbacks that we brought in just haven't worked out for, for various reasons. And the fullbacks that Jones played on Saturday, Martin Craney's a very good defender who's not that good going forward. And it's kind of the other way around with Dan Potts on the left-back position. So... I think in an ideal world, Jones would love to, uh, to play the diamond formation, but whether or not he'd got the personnel to do it with full-backs bombing up and down the wing remains to be seen. It was a little bit of a, of a hinterland performance for me, where it was, neither, it was neither one thing nor the other. So that's kind of one of the big things that we need to improve very quickly and it's a case of whether or not we've got time to do that for me we should talk about Izzy Brown I think obviously Leeds fans have uh, less rosy memories of him than maybe other players they've had in their recent past um, we had a chat about this actually before we came on air and from the outside it looks as though Izzy Brown has been quite important for you this season but you suggested that maybe that wasn't quite the case well it, Brown's an interesting one I mean you know you probably know yourself and you be a frustrating player at times mm. and uh, at Luton he wasn't helped by a couple of things that Graham Jones the previous manager did first of all uh, for reasons that remain absolutely unclear to any Luton fan <laughs> Brown's first couple of games were as a central defensive midfielder and that is that is not Izzy Brown's position by any stretch of the imagination and you know I think a couple of fans are still kind of suspicious about him because he was so out of place in that position uh, he's had his injury problems and the other problem that I think Brown's had that completely wasn't his fault is that uh, round about October, November last uh, last year, Graham Jones said that if Luton stay up, we need Izzy Brown fit, which kind of was effectively throwing the rest of the squad in under the bus, really. And it didn't, you know, it's such a politically stupid thing for Graham Jones to say that uh, some fans have almost taken it out on Izzy Brown, even though it's not his fault at all. And he seems, you know, he seems a nice guy, he seems to like the club. He says all the right things, and when he's on form, he's unplayable. But 
uh, he's had a lot of injury problems. It's been a little bit stop-start, and even though we've obviously had the three-month break, he wasn't particularly good against Preston last week. But an on-form Izzy Brown, I'd kind of pick him because you know the one game in three when he's on fire, he he is a game changer. So we're recording this before the Leeds Fulham game. Um, how are you feeling about the timing of the the game of, between Leeds and Luton? Because if Leeds have had two poor results in a row, it could be good or bad for you. Or do you think it would be better if Leeds win against Fulham and are potentially a little bit more complacent? I think it's exactly the latter. If a club needs to get form traditionally this season, you know, if, you, if you're out of form, then just come down to Luton and pick up the points, or you know, stay at your ground and pick up the points. You know, we're not we're not good against teams that are, have got a point to prove. Whereas, as you say, if you beat Fulham, then potentially, you know, club bottom of the table, etc. You might get a little bit complacent and then the game's there for the taking for us to a certain extent. I kind of feel like whatever happens, it's got to be 4-0 Leeds or 1-0 Luton. In terms of the game earlier in the season, um, do you have any thoughts about the last time we played? Do you expect the game to be hugely different to that this time around? Possibly not. I mean, it kind of typified that game for me that we have been a little bit too cautious this season. We do invite the pressure and uh, particularly last season when we got the, the equaliser after we equalised against against uh, Leeds, we really did sat back and the, the winner, although it was very late, we kind of felt inevitable to a certain extent. I'm hoping that's not going to be how we play it this time around. But as I say, the Saturday game against Preston, we were quite cautious and I can see us playing cautiously again whether or not we'll improve defensively and whether or not we'll be able to soak up the pressure better under Nathan Jones again remains to be seen but um, I must admit I'm a little bit I'm a little bit anxious about this game on Tuesday. How are you looking injury wise is there anything we should know about big injuries? Not at all I mean I think everyone's kind of recovered uh, recovered during lockdown apart from Kazenglo Alawa who's one of the few natural wide players we've got and very pacey uh, he didn't feature on Saturday and, you know, we're not 100% sure why as fans, but there is talk that, you know, he just hasn't quite got the fitness back and uh, maybe he didn't have the best lockdown. I don't know. But, um, but, yeah, he's the only player that would normally feature in the squad that would, you know, that is an injury concern. Otherwise, you know, we're good to go, I think. And how will you line up against us? I think, as I say about the, uh, about the defensiveness of our midfield, I think we will probably play it fairly cautiously. Um, those three midfielders are kind of interchangeable in terms of, you know, they can all play as holding midfielders. Glenn Ray, I think, is as good as the division's got for being a central defensive midfielder. Unfortunately, he was injured for a large part of the season, but since he's come back, he's given us a lot of much-needed stability. So I think we'll be hard to break down. Going back to what you were saying about the the game at, at Kenilworth Road between Luton and Leeds, you were very good at um, getting past us, and there were quite a few chances created and James Shea and goal that day had a very good game for us and I kind of think it will be another it probably will be another back to the wall performance needed if we're to get anything out of it but you know maybe we are quite good early uh, early doors traditionally and I think if we can nick a goal early on then that will obviously completely change the complexion of the game and you know we'll have to see how it goes from there but I think best case we'll probably nick a winner on 70 minutes. Has it a, a starting lineup? It's difficult to say. I mean, I think I suspect that not much will have changed from the lineup that we had on Saturday against Preston in the starting uh, in the starting eleven. I think there could be a couple of changes defensively, particularly going back to what I was saying about the fullbacks. Is there there could be changes there um, if Jones wants to play the diamond effectively? 
I think really in our back four, the only absolute guaranteed starter is Cameron Carter-Vickers, who we've got on loan from Spurs, and is just, you know, he's head and shoulders above what else we've got on, in the back four, which isn't to have a go at anyone else defensively. You know, they did very well for us coming up some of those players, but, you know, we are bottom of the table and they haven't quite adapted to championship level all the way through. So I think um, we're going to need... Uh, we're going to need our defensive midfielders to kind of soak up the pressure very well if we're to have any chance on Tuesday. Which players are you wary of when you face Leeds? Well, I mean, it kind of sounds obvious, but uh, bearing in mind he got both goals for uh, for Leeds when he played at Kenilworth Road, Patrick Bamford just looks like he's going to, you know, I get the impression Bamford's one of these players who needs six chances to score a goal, but he's going to have those six chances because he's very good at sniffing the goals out and... I think one one thing that probably won't do you many favours is that he won't have any fans to uh, to wind up because he was surprisingly he was a real wind up merchant against us when he scored the first goal for Leeds. You know, kind of shushed the Luton fans even though we hadn't been giving them any grief, which is a bit of a strange one. But mm. I think a poach like that in the box will be very wary of. And I think uh, speaking of fullbacks, we're we're very de- we're very jealous of uh, Dallas at fullback for you as well. I mean, he you know. If if it was an you know if it was a Nathan Jones team, Dallas would be a perfect player for us, and I think that's the kind of player that you know you can just kind of see him getting a few crosses in from uh, from the fullback position, and uh, possibly you know almost certainly be the guy to set Bamford up with a couple of chances on Tuesday. And then finally, which players should the Leeds fans look out for? Well, I mentioned Glenn Ryan. As I say, he's not necessarily a guy that will hit the headlines particularly, but he is since he's come back. He's been our star man this season just for being absolutely rock solid. Uh, he's become captain again under Nathan Jones. Uh, in terms of the attacking flair, Harry Cornick is incredibly quick. Um, not always with the best finishing product, but you know he'll probably get a few chance. Well, a few. He'll probably get the chance that we need, and whether or not he can convert it will be will be another matter. But if he does, I imagine he'll be the, probably be the one to score. Uh, and Peli Radakampanzu, who I think Leeds were looking at about four managers ago. He's someone who is very good going for. Yeah, you know, he's a good box to box player. He's a good all action midfielder. I think they're the three key players. And then Simon Sluger in goal. Uh, it's worth noting that he's completely changed how he's played this season because when he joined as our record signing, he he was absolutely terrible. Unfortunately, it took him ages to adapt to the English game. Uh, he seemed to have language problems and so on. But over the past sort of ten or eleven games, he's been he's possibly been our best player, and he's saved us a few points, having cost us quite a few at the start of his Luton career. So, how do you expect the game to unfold? Um, as I say, I think, I think we'll probably play very cautiously. We'll play on the counter attack. We'll soak up the pressure. Uh, our midfield is quite defensively minded, but it needs to be because we're we're not that strong defensively, to be perfectly honest with you. Uh, and if you look at our midfield, we've got Ryan Tynercliffe, Pelly Rudakampanzu and Glenn Ray, who are all quite defensively minded. Rudakampanzu is good going forward, but um, generally we are a team that will soak up the pressure. And I think that's probably what we'll do. And I think, you know, had it been under normal circumstances, I think we would have gone to Leeds and uh, tried to make the fans nervous. But of course, with no fans, that's pretty difficult to do. So we'll, we'll have to see if it works under... Uh, under lockdown conditions as well, I suspect. Well, John, thank you so much for your time. And hopefully you can enjoy the game. I wouldn't put it past Leeds to be in a terrible downward spiral at this point. So you never know, it might work out for you. Yeah, let's hope that I follow works on Tuesday. <laughs> How can our listeners follow the work that you do? 
I write mainly about football for when Saturday comes, so uh, keep an eye out for that every month. And I've got the TV review column in there, and I'm always kind of popping up with various semi-informed opinions about Luton. So, uh, so I'd say that's the main one. Thanks, John. Cheers, John. Have a good day. Thanks. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. So that was John Earls, freelance journalist and Luton fan. Guys, initial thoughts to to what John had to say about Luton? I thought it was quite interesting uh, the way that he thought Luton would set up, that they'd play quite cautiously and uh, quite anxiously. Um, I think the fact that they've they've won yesterday um, might change their mentality slightly. They might sort of see this Leeds game as just a bit of a free hit uh, where they can just go all out um, and you know they can almost afford to lose this one and focus on the other more winnable uh, fixtures. Hard to judge Izzy Brown, isn't it, as a Leeds fan? Because you know we saw him on the pitch for relatively few minutes and he did a, a, a sum of nothing in in the time <laughs> that he was on. But um, yeah, just interesting to hear kind of uh, some of John's sort of criticisms of Izzy Brown, really. Because my impression. Um, was that he was doing really well there, getting a lot of assists um, and and being a real threat. But he's not some he's not somebody I fear per- personally. Just in terms of this sort of we've just what we've been talking about now, really, in terms of complacency. I th- it's easy to look at someone like Luton who are towards the bottom of the table. In fact, they may are they still bottom or are they switch places with Barnsley? Second bottom. Yeah, now, I think yeah. they switched with mm. Barnsley. But Nathan Jones is back. Uh, he had a good record at Luton. He's clearly making Luton more difficult to beat. Uh, they had a draw against Preston and they beat Swansea yesterday. Um, we've struggled against his 4-4-2 diamond before as well when he was at Stoke. Um, so, yeah, interested in hearing your thoughts on, on on Luton under Nathan Jones and how much more of a, a difficult prospect it, that makes it rather than um, maybe perhaps before the, the lockdown. We didn't seem to have too much trouble with this four four two diamond uh, at Stoke away this this season when we absolutely pulled the legs off them. So um, I'm not I'm not unduly worried about Nathan Nathan Jones' impacts. I think I noticed this morning that, that Luton have got the leakiest defence in the division, and I think there there is. I, I'm just wanting us to look at it as an opportunity really to to um, you know hopefully get a reasonably comfortable, reasonably straightforward win. Um, I think their their four four two with the diamond probably benef- would benefit from the the more attacking fullbacks as as John said um, rather than fullbacks who like to sit deeper. Um, 
So I would anticipate that, that Luton will come into the game at Elland Road very much with the mindset if they can get a come away with a point, they'd be delighted. And um, you know, anything more than that is just gonna be huge. But but um there's nothing there really which unduly worries me. They're second bottom of the table for a reason. They have done much better at home than they have away as well this season. Um they think they've scored uh points points per game at home, they've got one point three seven and away they've only got 0.65 so they're one of those teams that really relies on the home fortress and uh i was thinking this morning they're going to have a long a long trip to to and from swansea and now they're coming up to leeds which isn't that near either so uh i'm hoping that'll play a part and their away form will uh stay true to what it's been over the course of the season I don't have the actual dimensions, but I know that Luton's ground is quite small as well. Um, and I think that suits a team playing 4-4-2 with a diamond because with a 4-4-2 diamond, you've got two... You've, you're basically playing... It's, it's 4-3-3 with a, with a dropped-in um, forward player rather than, rather than anything. Yeah. And as a result of that, you end up with, with the team being very, very narrow indeed. And it, the case... Usually it's the case that if you can, if you can manipulate them in, in horizontal um, direction. So if you can pull them side to side, um, their midfield three end up having to do a huge amount of coverage. Um, and it, it means that gaps do appear on, on right and left uh, that where you can isolate um, wide players against fullbacks. So I think it's going to be a case of that. It's going to be a case of um, using the, the, the dimensions of Elland Road to, to our effect so that we can uh, just make them work a lot harder um, and and eventually you'll you'll expect um, gaps to break break um, break through in in their structure um, so yeah I think um, uh, that would be that'll be quite important we had a question from s Bilton about the difference in Luton's play from pre post Nathan Jones returning would be interesting I, I think I'm probably safe in saying that none of us really followed Luton that much before Nathan Jones was playing for them so I, I'm not sure we'll be able to say anything too um, interesting um, about that but um, yeah Nathan Jones I think is a good manager I think that he's he's another one of these managers who um, suffers the curse of going to Stoke City and and uh, is remembered as a manager for his time there you can say the same about Gary Rowett who I think is doing quite well now with with Millwall I think he's a, I think he's a good manager so yeah, I think it's easy to it's easy to to sort of overlook him. But as as Darren says, look, they're, they're second bottom of the league for a reason. Um, and the, I mean, the reason that they've done well, as we've said, is because their their style of play suits them at home. Um, so with all that in mind, it should be a fairly easy game. But that being said, um, we do have a run of teams who are going to sit deep against us um, and they're going to play hard to break down and try and hit us on the break. But we do have a lot of teams um, like Luton, like Charlton um, coming up, where uh, Stoke as well, who are all in relegation battles. Um, now, a lot of people make a lot of this. I'm not sure whether I would. But I, I do have questions about whether or not, how that sort of game state, implicit game state, that they need points will affect the way that they play. Uh, I think where earlier in the season they would just be happy to sit deep and see what they can get. But is there going to be any sense that you know they're pulled uh, apart more uh, because they might need points? I mean, Luton need to be winning games, and I'm sure that in the last seven games, the Leeds game, they're probably writing off um, mentally. They probably just say, "Well, you know, we'll take what we can get, sit deep, see if we can frustrate them." But um, how do we think that this is going to play out for us as the season goes on? Because as the season goes on. 
there's going to be less time and fewer points for these teams to get in order to save themselves. So how are we feeling about the, the I think there's about four teams where people are saying, you know, they are, they are battling for relegation. So how are we feeling about that, Darren? Well, I'm just I'm just glancing at, at Luton's fixtures for the, the remainder of the season and they've got us, then they've got Reading, Barnsley, Huddersfield, QPR, Hull and, and Blackburn. So I think, I think they very much will kind of um, just try and see what they can get at Ellen Road because they won't be expecting the points. I think they'll. I think they will sit deep and put the onus on us to break them down. Well, they've got Barnsley there, you say, and Hull and Huddersfield, all three yes. of which are, are all six pointers. Three. So yeah. you'd think that they'd be focusing their attention on those games um, rather than against us away from home. Against us, you'd think maybe they'll be. But then it, it could be the other way around, right? Where there's no no pressure on them really, and they just sort of go out and do what they want to do. And I think that's that's really what I think has has. Kai Bosch does in the in the past when it you know we talk about the Leeds losses that we get it feels as though we come up against teams who just sort of consider the game to be a write-off they're like well you know you don't expect to get anything out of Leeds and as a result they just sort of go for it and 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 it works out quite well for them so maybe that'll happen the other way around but we tend to struggle against teams like that who've got a tremendous amount of physicality which I don't I don't view Luton as having I, I don't think they're going to be the sort of team that have got the the, the real kind of power in their front front players to, to, to break through in, in in ways like Wigan did in ways like Cardiff did last week I, th- I think that they, they will be reactive and th- if they get a point I think they'll be they'll be delighted but I, th- I think fr- from our point of view I think we'll we'll be managing Pablo quite carefully from now to the end of the season so I would expect the same starting 11 um to start on Tuesdays as started yesterday um and that we will we'll bring Pablo on if we need to and, and won't if we don't. It'll be interesting to see whether or not we actually come out with a three-three-one-three. We haven't seen that for a while. But if if you're playing against two strikers, we'll probably play with a back three, um, which is worth talking about. Um, because yeah, I mean, I guess it's sort of Berardi, Pascal Struick on the bench, or Oliver Casey on the bench, sort of time. But um, how would we feel about how would we feel about the three-three-one-three? I'm just trying to think of how it would look other than that. So you would then probably have Ailing as playing as playing as the sort of inside inverted fullback next to next to Phillips and then um as he pretty much did let's face it against against Fulham and then you'd probably have Dallas as the sort of more classic um support fullback so getting forward a little bit I really like Ailing as the third center back personally uh, rather than the sh- rather than the, the the shuttle um on mm. on the right and then you but, could play Dallas as a I guess you could play Dallas then as the inside Sort of centre midfielder, yeah. fullback, like he's yeah. done a few times, and then you would have Alioski, I suppose, yeah. as the as the four, or maybe even Douglas because Douglas came on as well. Yeah, um, maybe a bit more of a solid, a solid uh, defensive, and then you could bring Alioski on late, um, and then yeah. So then, I guess it depends if Costa's knock is more than than we think, but then you would play, I guess, Harrison. I don't. If you don't play Costa, do you just play. I think you see the same wing as you saw yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. You play yeah. Alioski, don't you? You play Alioski on the yeah. left and and Harrison on the right, maybe, and then and then Hernandez slash Roberts is the mid mid middle player and um and Bamford up front. So that'll be interesting to see. How would you feel about that? Uh, let's let's not forget that in November, I think we got five wins, four of which came on the back of three three one three formations. So how would you feel about that? I mean, th- th- there's got to be something said that I think that teams with two strikers tend to be lower table teams 
Um, I don't know if that's always true, but um, I certainly think that like teams like Luton playing four 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 two with the diamond is 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 very different from like Fulham playing four two three one, which a lot of the the, the better teams play because they because they do get a little bit more tactical um, creativity from that. But um, yeah, how are you feeling about the three three one three potentially, Joe? Yeah, um, I think Bielsa did come out in his post match and say that um, Costa was fine, um, so it wouldn't surprise me to see. The same starting lineup, but like you say, with a bit of a hybrid three-three-one-three uh, three, in defence. Um, I do, I do like to see it. I, lo- I love to see. I'm like Darren. I love to see Ailing as the third uh, centre back, and he, I think he can be really fluid in that role um, in transitions, especially. Um, so I'm, I'm quite looking forward to seeing it. Something, something different tactically, and yeah, like you say, we have a good record uh, in that formation. So I'm all for it. And so just before we finish then, how do we expect the game to go? As I always say, I don't expect a prediction, but you're welcome to offer one if you want. But how do you see the game unfolding, Joe? I think Luton will sit deep, like we've just said. I think they'll be very happy to play for a draw, considering that we're top of the league and they're second bottom. They'll just be playing it out that way. And uh, if Leeds can break them down, um, potentially we might be looking for Hernandez to do that for us. But if we can get a goal first, then I think... the win's definitely going to come for us. But um, if Luton managed to nick one from a set piece or a penalty or something, then I can see it being a really difficult game. I think I'm going to I'm going to base it on the first goal. And uh, yeah, I think everything's to do with that. I don't see them offering us the problems that Cardiff did or that Fulham did yesterday. However, I don't think it'll be a particularly high-scoring game. I think we'll it'll be one of those where where we kind of wear them down and get a couple of late goals uh, to, to kind of come away with the victory. It might be a bit frustrating. So there we go. We have not that long to wait for that game. That game is on uh, Tuesday at 7.45pm. Um, I hope you guys all enjoy the game. Hopefully we'll come through that quite solidly. Our next weekly episode, I think, will be recorded the next day uh, on the Wednesday. Um, I don't know. I don't think we'll be able to fit one in really after straight after the game i'm not a great fan of doing like immediately post match um podcast recordings so we'll see there's going to be a few there's going to be a few games where we sort of forced to do that because the the games just come thick and fast but uh do keep an eye out for that um in terms of the wider housekeeping stuff, do keep an eye on our Patreon. We have a Patreon channel where we put out slightly more in-depth stuff. Um, we put trying to put out about a podcast a week at the moment, and uh, there's other stuff that goes up on, on our Patreon there. If you want to do that, head over to patreon.com forward slash allstats, aren't we? And three people who've done that are Beverly Broselli, um, Simon Smith, and Joe Raper. So... Uh, thanks to you guys for for signing up but if if you want to join us over there um we can promise you that there's there's some interesting stuff that goes up there so do consider um helping us with our patreon and the money that you give us do, does uh, allow us to put more content out there better content allows us to buy data get access to video and stuff like that so thank you very much for that but apart from that guys thank you very much it's um a nice feeling so let's just enjoy this while it lasts but um (laughs) i will no doubt be chatting to you guys in the next few days or so so see you then thanks guys great cheers
mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.